Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What do I do? Good morning. Happy Easter. Join with me in a word of prayer. Father, this morning when I woke up, I was full of joy and hope because that borrowed tomb was empty. We are thankful that we serve a living Savior. And that Jesus, that he conquered sin and death, he defeated Satan, and he did that all for us. Despite our sin being great, God, your love was greater for us. We are undeserving of this, but yet in our sin, you loved us and you sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place. We are so thankful for that because we know there is no other name in which we can be saved. There's no good work. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. It is a gift from you. And we truly are humbled and thankful that we can celebrate that truth today as well as every other Sunday as we gather together because it gives us hope both in this life and in the life to come. We also want to take time to pray for the needs of our body, whether in person or online, the struggles they may be going through, the valleys, the storms that they may be facing, whether it's a physical, whether it's spiritual, emotional, relational, financial. Father God, we commit those needs to you that you would answer those needs that your presence and your peace would be felt and experienced by our people, that we as your people would have opportunities to be your hands and feet, to encourage, pray, and be involved in caring for our people. We also want to pray for beyond our church, for what you're doing around the world. And as this past month, as we've been having a focused prayer time during Ramadan, that we would be lifting up and praying for Muslims around the world, that you would be at work through your people and through visions that people would be able to hear the good news of the gospel and realize that Jesus is not just a prophet, but that he was the son of the living God and that it is only through his name that we can be able to experience salvation. So we pray that during this month that people, Muslims all around the world would come to know and follow your son, Jesus. We pray for us as your church, both here locally and universally, that we would do our job of taking your good news of the gospel to every corner of the earth, that people would be able to hear that you love us and that you sent your son Jesus for us and that we can accept that free gift. 
We pray this morning for the rest of the service that you would be glorified, that your spirit would be at work in and through Pastor Mike as he brings your word and preaches it. I pray for us as the hearers that we would allow our hearts and minds to be open to your word and your spirit to grow us. And if we have never accepted your son Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we would be open to the truth that we cannot live this life and do it on our own, that you gave your son Jesus and that we can be able to accept that free gift to change our life forever and for all of eternity. And so we commit this all in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jarrett. Thank you very much for leading us in prayer. The scripture that you saw and heard this morning on the video is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. And it's the passage of scripture that forms the foundation for our sermon this morning on this Easter morning. Haven't preached this passage from Matthew 28 since uh, 2016, according to my records. And I'll tell you something, a little bit of insight, that uh, Easter is one of the more stressful times for a pastor because a pastor needs to prepare a sermon and um, everybody knows that Easter is about the resurrection. So you're always thinking, well, how can I prepare something that's a little different than last year or the year before? And so it can be very stressful. And, and so what I did this year was I pulled out of my files all 36 of the Easter sermons I preached in 36 years. And I laid them on the table and began to look through them. And honestly, you know, when I, and I kept every one of them. Yes, I have every sermon I ever preached. I, I kind of think and I dream that someday when I'm in heaven, the girls will walk in my office and say, oh my, look at what dad left for us. In addition to all the other things, we now have hundreds of sermons. Let us divide them equally among ourselves so that we might forever hear the words of our father in our ears. And, and I dream that and I know that it's not a true dream and it will never come true. But anyway, I'm happy to, to be able to think that for a moment or so. As I began to read through those sermons, I, I just said to the Lord, okay, I'm getting confused here. Put this in your hands. How do you want me to open this Easter message? And I went to bed on Monday night, and that was my prayer. And I woke up on Tuesday morning, and the Lord gave me this phrase, roller coaster, roller coaster. And I said, yes, that's it, Lord. That's exactly what you want me to preach. Let me tell you something today. I love a good old-fashioned wooden roller coaster. How about you? All the creaking and the cracking, well, I hope not too much cracking, of the wood. You know, how that, how that, that, that push and pull on the, on the, on the first ascent to the, to the very top of that peak, you know, and you feel it in your body as you're making your way up and you hear every part of, of that wooden roller coaster and then you reach the top. And when you reach the top, you begin that sudden descent. It's like you're perpendicular to the tracks. The negative G-forces lift you off your seat as you begin to go what appears to be zero to 80 in 15 seconds. You get to the bottom and you go around this hairpin, a horseshoe turn, and you go to the left and then you're whipped to the right and then you see the straightaway and boom, quick, abrupt stop. I mean, it's like having an OTPT and 10 chiropractic sessions in one. It's like unbelievable, the feeling in your body, the thrill of the ride. You know what I'm talking about? I did a little research on wooden roller coasters. The names of them 
are just fascinating all across the nation. The Beast, Comet, El Toro, the Wild One. Now get this one, Shivering Timbers. Why would you ever go on a wooden roller coaster called Shivering Timbers? And the oldest one of all built in 1902, Leap the Depths. And it, you know what? As I thought about it, it's 120 years old. I think I'd skip the dips on that one. But I love, I love a wooden roller coaster. I hate an emotional roller coaster. I hate them. Those situations or experiences in life that alternate between excitement and disappointment, exhilaration and desperation. The gradual climb to a happy hopeful place in life, that isn't the issue. It's that sudden, unexpected drop from the happy to the sad, from the hopeful to the hopeless. It's when you reach the bottom and you can barely catch your breath before there are another series of ups and downs and even U-turns. And when you're on this kind of roller coaster, you don't care if the end is abrupt or quick, you just want it to be over. You want to get off as quickly as you can. And so it was that first holy week of history. Jesus had tried to prepare his followers for what would happen on the days that we now call Good Friday and Easter. He understood the nature of humans. He understood the roller coaster of emotions. For example, in Matthew 17, he said, to his followers, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. But you know how it is, don't you? We hear what we want to hear. We ignore or dismiss the things that are just too painful for us to accept. For example, consider two women who play a prominent role in Jesus' life and ministry. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. How would you like to go through life? And, 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 and who are you? I'm the other Mary. And that kind of makes you feel good, you know. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. She was identified in another way, but most of the Gospels settle into calling her the other Mary. They were faithful to Jesus over the course of three years of his ministry, and they were faithful to the very end of his life. At the cross, where Jesus cried out and gave up his spirit, Matthew tells us, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 55 through 56, that many women were there watching from a distance. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, who was the other Mary, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. They were there. They watched as Jesus Christ died on that cross. Imagine their emotional roller coaster. From the cheering crowds that they had heard just the week before on Palm Sunday to the jeering crowds that they were witnessing on this Good Friday. They experienced, I believe, that sudden, unexpected descent that bottomed out at Calvary as they watched the one they loved die an excruciating death on the cross. What followed was even more emotional whiplash for the Marys Matthew describes how Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Jewish ruling council, who, by the way, had voted against the crucifixion of Jesus, how he went to Pilate and asked whether he might have the body of Jesus. 
and how Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy man, had just completed construction on his own personal family tomb, and he took the body of Christ and laid it in that new borrowed tomb. The Word of God says that Joseph then rolled a stone in front of the opening to that grave, and he sealed it. What's so interesting is what Matthew tells us, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there across from the tomb. They saw him die. They saw him buried. They watched him and his lifeless body be sealed in that tomb. They must have been absolutely devastated. I think maybe even numb. You know how it is. You know how the words run through your mind. Can it be? Is it possible that Jesus is dead? And so Matthew 28 opens this way. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Luke tells us that the two Marys brought with them some spices. They wanted to make sure that Jesus had a proper burial and they were gonna do something that would be the 21st century equivalent of embalming, but first century equivalent of embalming to prepare the body of Jesus. But when they got to the tomb, the stone was rolled away. And the word of God says that they went in and they saw that Jesus' body was not there. They must have wondered in their emotional state, what more indignity could be done to Jesus? They crucified him nailed him to a cross. They thrust a sword or spear into his side after having pressed a crown of thorns on his brow. What more could they do? Why would they take his body? But their wondering didn't last very long because then an angel appeared to them. This is what the angel said to them. Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, just as he told you. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. I have completed my assignment. Their emotional roller coaster was over. Matthew tells us that they got off the coaster, and as they did, the word of God says they were afraid and yet filled with joy and they ran to tell his disciples when suddenly, who did they meet but Jesus Christ himself. I love this picture. Suddenly as they run from that, that empty tomb, as they run with the message given to them by the angel, suddenly as they're running to tell the others, they meet Jesus and what does Jesus say to them? What does he say? He says, hi. That's what he says. The God of heaven and earth, the one who created everything that there is, the one who died for our sins and rose again, he has one word, greetings. And they are overwhelmed with joyful emotion. And they, they literally fall to their knees and they grab his feet and they worship him. He is alive. He is risen. And the word of God says, that as they fell at his feet and worshiped him, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers in Galilee, there they will see me. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary did exactly 
what Jesus asked them to do. Let me just say as an aside, as I was preaching this last night at six o'clock, it occurred to me, and it's borne out in scripture, did you notice who Jesus gave the assignment to to spread the good news of Jesus Christ? It was the women, not the men. It was the women. Go and tell the men. And the word of God says they did exactly what they were asked to do. They shared the news, and the news traveled fast. I love how John, the apostle, remembers Mary Magdalene's exact words as she came and stood among them as she said to them, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Say that with me. I have seen the Lord. And she wasn't the only one. Word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus revealed himself to 500 others beginning with his closest disciples. The news of the resurrection was good news, but friends, it became the good news. It was good news, small g, small n, but it became the capital G, capital N, good news. It became the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Years later, the apostle Paul would reflect on Jesus's bodily resurrection from the dead, and he would simply yet profoundly declare this good news as the most important news that we will ever receive. This is what he wrote. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that on the, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. First importance, nothing greater, nothing more important to our daily lives than the news that Jesus Christ died and rose again on the third day. You know, we live in a culture where you can't get away from the news. We have a 24-hour news cycle. You have a smartphone, you have a laptop, you have a radio, you have a TV, wherever you are, there is news. If you're in New York City or in Times Square, they will scroll it on the buildings. You can't get away. It is a 24-hour news cycle. There is news everywhere you go. And did you notice how the news is heightened in, in anxiety and anticipation? Like when I was growing up, when there was breaking news, it happened once and occasionally. But like every day, there is breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. We have two inches of snow coming to Lancaster County. Oh my goodness, we're going to close down for three days. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. My goodness, we used to walk to school uphill both ways in two inches of snow or more. That's not true, but it came in there anyway. So is it still true that this news that Jesus died and rose again is of first importance? Is it still true that it's the greatest news that anyone could ever receive? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Absolutely it is still true because there is no other news that can have an immediate, ongoing, and eternal difference in your life than the news that Jesus died and rose again. Listen, let me tell you something about that truth. Because Jesus Christ died and rose again, first of all, your life can be changed. Your life can be changed. 
The moment that you decide to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, you begin to experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that changes who you are. At the cross, Jesus Christ died in our place, yours and mine, for our sins. He shed his precious blood so that when we come to him and confess our sin to him, the word of God promises that he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The red blood shed on the cross makes us clean, white as snow. Jesus, by his blood, forgives our sin, washes away our guilt and our shame. But let me tell you something else that happens. The moment you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the power of God through the Holy Spirit of God comes and takes up residence in your life. The very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that resides within you. And when the Holy Spirit of God comes and takes up residence in your life, the very first thing that he does is he breaks the hold that sin and the devil have on you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you never again need to give in to the old devil. And never should you say, the devil made me do it, because you have the power of God in you, breaking the hold that sin and the devil have on you. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit of God immediately adopts you into the family of God, and he makes you a child of God, and you have a whole new family that you are incorporated into, and it is a powerful family because the Spirit of God is the source of that power. And not only that, but he gives you a brand new life. Brand new life. It's an amazing truth. It's, it's something about Easter. You ever notice this where people get a new hairdo, they, they get new clothes, they get new, I got a new tie, okay? So I got a new tie and I came down this morning at 6.30 and I said to Jenny, well, what do you think? And she said, that's very nice. I think Paul has one like that. Paul gets in the car at 6.40, and, and I said, well, I have a tie like you. He said, well, what color is that? He's completely colorblind. I said, don't worry about it. Apparently, it's just like your tie. We get new things. But let me tell you the most important new thing on Easter isn't your tie, isn't your hair, isn't your dress, isn't the gifts that you might get later on tucked away in an Easter basket. The most important new thing that you receive as a result of Easter is the new life you receive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Word of God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old has gone and all things, all things, all things become new. As I was reading those 36 sermons, I didn't even read them all, as I was perusing through them, I noticed that a couple times over these years, I excerpted a portion of scripture and made it a centerpiece of the, of the sermon from Romans chapter six. And as I read that again, I, I was struck by the power of these words speaking about who we are in Christ. And I wanna ask you this morning to read this scripture with me 
because there's something wonderful about the body of believers reading together the word of God. I believe that God etches it into our minds and our hearts and, 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 and changes us because that's what the word does, right? Changes us. So read it with me, beginning, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised as he was. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Say that again. We are no longer slaves to sin. Say that again. We are no longer slaves to sin. Say it louder. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share his new life. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. All over this sanctuary all weekend long, there are trophies of God's grace. Men and women who have been transformed because Jesus Christ died and rose again. On Good Friday morning, 175 men from Grace Community Church gathered at Hershey Farms for the Good Friday breakfast. In Lancaster County, the centerpiece of such a breakfast is a $7 all-you-can-eat buffet <laughs> with Scrapple. But that was not the centerpiece of this breakfast. Centerpiece of this breakfast was when a young man from our congregation stood up and shared the brokenness of his life and the power that raised Jesus from the dead that transformed his life as he became a follower of Jesus Christ. 170, yeah, that's right. 174 men stood to their feet at the end of that testimony in an ovation of praise and thanksgiving to what God has done in Josh's life. Your life can be changed because Jesus died and rose again. One more thing. Because Jesus died and rose again, your hope can be restored. Your hope can be restored. You know, hope is a tricky word. I learned in my study for this message that hope is actually called in the English language arts a contronym. Now we know what synonyms are, we know what antonyms are. A contronym, what is a contronym? A contronym is a word that has two opposite meanings and it can be used in two opposite ways. Hope is one of those words. So the way we commonly use the word hope in our culture is summed up by the boy who said, hope is wishing for something you know ain't gonna happen. And that's the way we use the word hope most often in our culture. We use it to express a wish, a dream, finger crossing, lip biting, hope so, but not sure. Let me just give you a couple examples of that. I hope that Washington DC will get their act together. Okay? I don't care whether 
the Republicans or the Democrats or the independents are there. I mean, we've been hoping that for years. And, and it ain't gonna happen. You know why? Because there is only one king. And his name is Jesus. Let, let me try another one. I hope that the Phillies go to the series. Okay? I'll tell you what, I touched a nerve last night. I, I mean, I was, I was going to greet people for Easter out there. I learned about hitting. I learned about pitching. I learned about how they used to be, how they aren't now, how they could be, how we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray? Really? We need to pray for the Phillies? Well, it really upset people that I would suggest that we're not confident. Let me try another one. I hope that they build a Chick-fil-A in Willow Street. Now, you know that ain't going to happen, right? Let me try one more. I hope that Pastor Mike preaches a short sermon. I mean, come on. I can tell you that ain't going to happen. I've done this now three times. It ain't going to happen. Wish all you want. Hope is wishing for something you know ain't going to happen in the culture. The way God uses the word hope is quite the opposite. Pastor John Piper has written that Christian hope not only desires something good for the future, it is confident that it will happen. Christian hope, friends, is confident expectation for the future. The Apostle Peter, who himself saw the empty grave and was not sure exactly what happened, Years later, put pen to parchment, and he wrote these words as he opened 1 Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth into a living hope. You know what that means? When you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you are given a new birth into a new life. He changes you from the inside out, and when he does that, he plants hope in your soul. He plants hope in your soul. So, hear me. Come what may in this earthly life, you have a living hope for right now for this life. Listen, I understand how life works, and you do too. In our lives, we face challenges, we face difficulties, we face disappointments. Everyone here has faced them, and some of you are facing them right now. And as we face the challenges and the difficulties of life, we have a choice. We will either camp out and live on the side called bitter, or we will get up and over bitter and we will become better even in the face of the challenges and the difficulties of life. Because here's the deal. Jesus died on Good Friday, but he rose again and lives today on Easter. We don't have to live in bitter we can live in better. Now, how does that work, practically speaking? What do we do when we're on that roller coaster of emotions? When we can't get past bitter, 
when whatever we're facing seems hopeless, even life itself? What do we do? One of the theologians that I have read from time to time noted that what oxygen is to the lungs, such is hope to the meaning of life. When you don't have oxygen, you suffocate. And so to recover, someone needs to bring oxygen and pump it into you. When you don't have hope, he writes, you spiritually suffocate. And so you need someone to come and put hope in you, to remind you what is in you, to refresh and resurrect what you have buried but is very much resident inside your soul. And there is only one person who can bring you the oxygen of hope, and his name is? Jesus. And Jesus alone. Now let me tell you something. Every one of us go through seasons in our lives where we try to do it on our own, figure it out on our own, slog through it on our own. A few weeks back, I was facing a situation and, and I allowed it to get me to a spot of hopeless. And I mean, I'm just slogging through this thing and I'm trying to figure it out, doing a lot of self-talk. That's where I talk to myself and the answers aren't very intelligent when they come back, when I give them to myself. And you know, I'm working through this thing and nothing's, nothing's making sense. And all of a sudden it occurs to me, you haven't talked to Jesus. My goodness, Mike, you're a pastor. A couple weeks you're gonna preach about hope. You haven't even done what you're gonna preach about. Have you run to Jesus? And the answer was no. I was so consumed. Never happened to you in the emotional roller coaster that I forgot to run to the one who could help me. So I ran to him. I broke silence with him. I told him all the details. Now, I can't stand here today and tell you he resolved everything. What I can tell you is that he took that burden off of my shoulders. He is bearing it for me. He has given me a certain peace and a certain joy, a deep, settled confidence that he is in control of the details of my life, and he has given me wisdom to be able to walk through what otherwise I could not walk through. That is the hope, the confident expectation that Jesus alone gives to us. Not every difficulty in life is gonna be resolved and neatly wrapped with a little bow on top perfectly. That's not the world in which we live. But every difficulty, every disappointment, every challenge can be taken to the one whose name is Jesus. He is our hope and he will do his amazing work a birthing living hope inside of you. I ask you right now, as you sit here, are you wrestling with something in your life that's a challenge, that's a difficulty, that's a disappointment? And is it possible that in the midst of all the emotion, you haven't yet gone to Jesus? Break silence. The best place to get off the emotional roller coaster as at a place called hope. It comes to a stop, you disembark, 
and Jesus is there to help you. There's one more thing. The Apostle Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians 15, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. The living hope that Jesus gives is not just a hope for right now. It is also a hope for eternity. In his book, Scandalous, D.A. Carson writes about the reality of death. And he says that in the Bible, death is an enemy and it can be a fierce one. It is ugly. It destroys relationships. It is repulsive. There is something odious about death. Never pretend otherwise, Carson writes. But death does not have the last word. Thank God that we have a Savior who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Here's the truth. Death came into this world at the hands of the first Adam, who fully and completely disobeyed God. And as a result, death is our enemy. But here's the good news. By the death and resurrection of the one whom the Bible calls the second Adam, Jesus Christ, we have the great privilege of being free of death. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, destroyed death. In fact, the best way to express this, and it was expressed this way by the hymn writer in Crown Him With Many Crowns, when Jesus died and rose again, death died. The Apostle Paul says it most eloquently in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at the very end of the chapter when he writes, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Read this with me. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means as you sit here this morning, as you walk through life, you can know that you know that you know that your eternity is secure that you have planted in your heart not only a hope for right now, but an eternal hope. You can have absolute confidence that whenever the day of death comes, whether it is within two months or 20 years or 80 years, you are ready to meet Jesus Christ and you will live forever with him in heaven. You can be absolutely certain. You can know that truth because the word of God says you can know with confidence that you will inherit eternal life. I have three questions for you on this Easter. Question number one is very simple. Has your life been changed by Christ? Is there a moment in your history when you humbled yourself before the God of heaven and earth confessed that you are a sinner and invited Jesus Christ to become Lord and Savior of your life such that you sit here now and you know with confidence he has changed your life. The second question is simply this. Do you know that you know that you know that when someday you die, you will go home to be with him in heaven? And the third question is this. As you sit here today, and if you are absolutely honest, willing to be vulnerable and transparent, 
Is there a situation that you are facing in your life right now that frankly is causing you some degree of hopelessness? It's keeping you up at night. It's making it difficult to go to work in the daytime. It's impacting your relationship with people around you. You're not talking with others because this is so consuming to you. Because here's the message of this Easter. There is a God who wants you to run to him. His name is Jesus. Break silence and tell him everything. And he will unleash his hope in your life. So join me right now. He is risen. Let's pray together. You are an amazing, mighty, powerful, awe-inspiring God. There is none who is like you. Today, when we come to this place, we come with thanksgiving for the resurrection, Jesus, that you are alive. And we thank you that because you are alive, we have the opportunity for a changed life and also for a restored hope. My prayer is that for those who are here and online with us, who could not answer, yes, I have a changed life, yes, I know, that I know that I know that someday I will live forever with Jesus in heaven. My prayer is that they would today surrender their lives to you by confessing their sin and confessing you as Lord and receiving your gift of salvation. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you and invite you today. Do you know Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord of your life? Has you changed your life? Do you have absolute confidence of your salvation in him and of the reality of an eternal life that is absolutely assured in him? You know that he has forgiven you and you know that someday you will live with him in heaven. And if you sit here today, you do not have that assurance. You do not know with absolute certainty are you ready and willing today to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? By praying to ask him to forgive your sin and confessing him as Lord and Savior. If that's your desire, I'm going to lead a prayer, a prayer of salvation for you to receive Christ. And if you're sitting here this morning, or if you're online with us and you desire to pray that prayer, online you just click raise a hand, you let us know that you're ready to receive Christ. And if you're in this, in this room right now, you're ready to receive Jesus Christ, I would just ask you with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would just lift your hand up and in doing so you're saying, Pastor Mike, I, I'm ready to make that decision today. Are there any who with an upraised hand would simply say, I'm ready to trust you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord of my life? I invite you to pray this prayer. Jesus, I confess you as Lord. And I believe that God raised you from the dead. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. 
please take them away. I know that I am a sinner in need of your salvation. And today I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Jesus, I receive you as Savior and Lord of my life. I commit my life to you, Jesus, and I choose today to follow you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for changing my life now through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving me a new and eternal life. And it's in your name I pray. Father, I thank you because I know that you are at work. And I thank you for any who have made that decision here online. Your Holy Spirit will witness to their spirit that they are children of God, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to pray right now, Father, for any who are here or listening online to us who are facing what seems to be an insurmountable mountain of hopelessness. I pray, Lord, that you would lead them to that place of courageous and bold, running to you and crying out to you and telling you exactly what it is that they need because you hear and answer prayer and you fill us with your hope. And we thank you and praise you for that. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. I want to tell you something about what happened last night in our Sunday school at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Five children prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Five children. And there will probably be more to share with you but those children, Jenny, my wife Jenny was there with, with some of the children. She said they were so sincere and with their own words and their own voices, they thoughtfully shared who Jesus is, what he means to them, and their desire for him to forgive their sin and to give them a new life. We are here to help you find that life in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't have to take place on Easter Sunday. You go home, you think about what you've heard, you want to talk about it, you contact me, you contact any of our pastors. Pastor David so eloquently shared that truth last night. You contact us and we will move heaven and earth, literally, to help you find a new life in Jesus Christ. Now, we need to continue to celebrate. Jesus died but he rose again. He is risen. Would you stand with me right now and let's declare that truth. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.